No matter who you are, things in your life probably aren't going as expected, whatever that means. But the things you are doing right now, no matter what they are, that's your life. It's not a plan B. I'm your host, Madeline Mortensen, and you're listening to This Is Not A Backup Plan. This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Good morning and happy new year. I want you to know that for like minimum three weeks, I have been thinking I should really record a podcast intro and release a new podcast. And as you might know, I kept not doing it. I had interviews edited before Christmas so that it would be really easy to come back in the new year. And I've just been really tired and a little bit busy, and so it's taken me a minute to get to the point where my brain has felt up to doing it, but I am so excited to be back and so excited to be chatting with you again. I hope that your January has been moderate at least. January, I know, can be such a weird month, and I always think it can be a little bit sad coming off the high of Christmas, but I hope that it's been fun to get back to a routine or that some good things have been happening in your new year. My dad and my little sister and I went to Disneyland for New Year's weekend. We spent a day in Disneyland, we spent a day in LA, and then we spent a day in California Adventure. And it was a very magical way to start the year. I haven't been since I was like 14. And so it was just fun to come back. I just think there's something very lovely about how Disneyland is set up and the experience of being there. And it's just very fun to go on a trip with people that you love and just not have to do normal life things. And then for MLK Day, I went to Dallas, which I've never been there before. I've never been to Texas. I've just flown through and I hung out with my aunt and my uncle and my cousins and just had a very low-key Martin Luther King Day weekend. So I feel like very happy that my year has started off with two trips. I've also been crocheting for the past week. Who's to say how long this will last? But right now it feels like this could for sure be a new hobby for me. It is so much easier than knitting has ever been for me. I like to knit. I'm sure I'll continue to knit. There's different things that like if you want a certain look or a certain pattern, you're going to have to knit. But crocheting has been a lot easier for me to understand, to pick up on, and to take places with me. So I've been having a lot of fun with that. And I've been really lucky because instead of buying a bunch of yarn for this project, I posted on social media that I wanted yarn because I knew that I knew people who would have a lot of yarn that maybe they might want to share. And I was correct. So I've been using yarn from other people and yarn from my younger sister, but she'll only give it to me in small bursts because she said she wants to make sure I have a reason to keep coming back and visiting her. And I want you to know that I am someone who is like, Now that I live in Salt Lake, usually at my dad's house, like a minimum of once a week. So I don't know that I need the yarn as an incentive, but she is going to be keeping it as such. I'm really, really, really excited about this week's guest. 
I interviewed Becca and Sid of the Good Girls Gone Sad podcast. I discovered their podcast through TikTok and then I listened to their whole back catalog and I love the conversations they're having. In their intro, they say that they're here to unpack their religious drama because the best parts of religion are performative and they talk a lot about how their upbringing and their faith influenced who they are, how they've redeveloped a relationship to that as adults and how they're continuing to do that. And then they just talk about elements of being a good girl, whether that's influenced by religion or birth order or family expectations. And their conversations resonate with me and a lot about my personal experience. So I was really excited to talk with them about the origin of their podcast, the origin of their stories, and also their experiences with dating and with marriage and redefining that relationship for them. So without further ado, enjoy this conversation with Becca and Sid. Thank you so much for joining me, Becca and Sid. I'm so excited to have you. Will you guys start out by introducing yourself? Hi, my name is Sid King. I'm a comedian based in New York and a co-host of Good Girls Gone Sad, the podcast and live show and all the other stuff that we do, which is growing by the minute. And yeah, I'm from Indiana. I was raised really Catholic, went to Catholic school for 12 years, sang in each and every choir offered. And yeah, I was an overachiever and now I'm a middle achiever. And uh, I talk about that a lot, what it's like to, what the come down is like. Love that middle achiever. I'm Becca Stevenson. I am the other half of the Good Girls Gone Sad duo. I'm also a comedian in New York and I work in advertising, which is just the least fun of my facts, I would say. (laughs) I grew up in North Carolina. I lived there until I was 22. And then I moved to New York and I've been here ever since. On our podcast, we talk a lot about how we're rule followers. And Sid and I were both raised religious. I grew up Methodist. And my church was not as extreme as some of the churches that we've talked to people about, but I was also a ballet dancer and I played the violin and I was just like, like Sid. She loves a rule. I love a rule, (laughs) loved overachieving. So we talk a lot about that on the podcast and outside of it. (laughs) (laughs) We talked about it so much. We had to start a podcast. Our friends were sick of hearing about it. We're like, okay, we'll record it. We'll put it online and then we'll be normal in person. I promise. (laughs) And then if they want to listen to it, they can listen to it on two times speed. Like they can just get through it. (laughs) Although my mom says we talk too fast. I think think we do. Also, our intro song is already so fast. It's rap. It's good girls gone. Good girls go bad. But our friend has remixed it. And if you listen to that at two times speed, it's hilarious. It's like a it's so fast. It's a bop, though. Feels like a crazy TikTok audio. I also, though, feel like I speak at a natural two times speed. Like, you're welcome to everyone that has to listen to me talk. Like, I'm just speeding it up for you. That's so true. I also, when I edit, will take out some of the, like, pauses. Because sometimes when I'm listening to a podcast and I hear a pause, I think that, like, my somebody's calling me or something. And so I will take out those pauses. So I'm really not helping anybody no. who is having trouble keeping up with our pace. So sorry about that in advance. So... 
I discovered your podcast, I feel like in the last few months, like I too grew up very religious. I grew up in Utah. Like my faith background is Mormon. I'm an oldest daughter. I like make up rules to follow is like my personality. And Mm -hmm. so the idea of being a good girl gone sad resonated so deeply with me because that's still such a part of who I am. But then I just think as I reflect on certain things, I'm like that, that makes me feel sad, like a little bit angry, a little bit sad. And so the idea of figuring out who you are and these conversations you've had, I think are so helpful. Can you guys just talk a little bit more about why you wanted to explore that idea of a good girl gone sad and how like your comedy show and your podcast evolved to focus on some of those elements? I think for both of us, it was kind of the New York of it all, because here people really do not talk about religion or if they do, it's like their whole thing, which was so shocking coming from places like in the South, that's God is just like in and out of the culture constantly. Like the way I grew up, all of my friends were Catholic. I've talked about on my podcast. I like didn't think Jewish people existed in the modern world, which was horrible. Like it just, we were so isolated and then like meeting all these kinds of people, which I was like, that's why I moved to New York was to like meet new people and experience new things. But then it felt like everything I knew was so far behind me. And then Becca and I would just make a side comment about a hymn or something like that. And even those like little connections, I think warmed our hearts a lot. And then when we were talking about it, like sometimes other comedians would be like in the room with us and they would bring up their stories and we're like, oh, there's actually a lot of us. And like, to your point about going sad and thinking, like when you think about it, you reflect on it. Sadly, I think both of us felt that way. And we have talked about how there's like a lot of beauty in some of the stuff that we had and think like finding the positive aspects of things that like maybe were hurtful, like rhetoric wise or whatever. And so, yeah, talking about on the podcast really helps. And like, I didn't even think I had this trauma and I still don't know if I do, but I was kind of just like, oh, that was a thing I did. That was crazy. And then talking about it a lot has helped me unpack what it really means to me and why was I so involved? Why was I so invested and like returning to it a little bit? Yeah. Yeah. And one of the things that I think once um, Sid came up with the name, Good Girls Gone Sad. It came to me in a dream. I swear. (laughs) It was like the most exciting that we were immediately like, yes, no workshopping needed. But I think the thing that really stood out to us about that was like, we've never identified with good girls go bad. Like I still don't do drugs. Like I just held a pack of cigarettes for the first time last month. I'm almost 30. Like we're not, we have not gone bad by any stretch of the imagination. It probably would have been way more fun if we had, but we look back at that time in a weird mixture of fondness and melancholy, I would say, because it's just a little bit sad to think about things that people told you and things that you internalized and especially like a lot of the people we've talked to have had anxiety and depression and OCD and things like that. And I think it's all wrapped up in this. You want to be so, so perfect. And then when that perfection, when there's a crack in it, that's when you have to, that's when you start being sad. So that was like, honestly, I think it came from like a cute name. And then we realized that the cute name held a lot of insights for us. For the listeners, it started out as a live show. So we're like, wouldn't it be funny if we had all these other anxious comedians with religious backgrounds do comedy? And then we were like, what if we turned it into a variety show when we wrote games for them? And then we had so much fun doing that. And then we realized that there was like a lot more conversation wise versus just having comedians tell their story that we wanted to do. So like the podcast came after a live show. 
if so like the that I think is an important note that we were like, this isn't that serious. It's a funny thing. And we went, it's a little bit serious. Maybe we should have a podcast too. Yeah. And Sid and I both, I mean, we literally bonded over, we both knew of the other one from comedy, but had never really interacted. And we both had told our friend, Rachel Lander, oh, she seems really cool. I'd like to be friends with her. And other people had been like, you must be friends with Sid King. Like y'all are the same person. I think people thought we actually might've been the same person. A couple of people did think we were the same person. But so I think that we both had talked so much in our comedy and kind of found a voice in our comedy of this is what makes us different in this comedy space and New York is like this background and our like need to follow rules and need to be liked and all that kind of stuff. So I think a lot of it was like us bonding over what we were naturally like gravitating towards in our comedy and then other people being like, wait, me too. I have a similar experience or coming up to us after shows and saying, oh my gosh, that joke you made about like saving sex for marriage. That is so true for me, blah, blah, blah. So I think the comedy like lends itself to coming up with things to talk about that are maybe different from what you think the norm is. But then we found that so many people have shared experiences around it. I love that so much. Something that I'm noticing like from my specific faith background and like I've lived in Utah my whole life. So I feel like there's a lot of things that like I I recognize, but like I see it through a very specific cultural lens since the Latter-day Saint church is like the predominant church in Utah. And like, as you were saying, like that you didn't know Jewish people existed in a modern context. Like I really wasn't meeting people that like, I feel like I understood went to church regularly and went to a different church, like growing up. Like I'm sure I did, but like, I didn't really understand people like having a personal connection to a faith, like outside of mine. But something that I have noticed is it seems like we're at a point where there's more and more conversations like yours that can happen about the middle, about the fact that like, there are things that are beautiful that you connect with that made you who you are. And there are things that hurt. I feel like when I was growing up, there was like either anti-material or faith promoting material. So if I read books that were like to like reflect like my culture and my understanding as a child, they were like about children being like so good and so religious that they were like boring and also made me feel bad for like not being as good of a kid as I could have been. And as an adult, I'm noticing that I think there's so much more material. I think it exists, like, I see in my own faith community and with my own religious background, but I also think with, like, conversations you're having that there's a point where more and more people want to have that conversation of, I feel sad, but it was also important. Yeah, and I we make a point. We didn't know we were doing this, but now we do it on purpose to talk to people, like, in different stages of their faith journey and from different faith backgrounds. and. The things you don't think would be common denominators are, it's been like really interesting. And sometimes people will come on and from their comedy, we think they have one relationship with it. And then like they get talking and it's actually very different. And so it's also interesting in that sense. It's like some people still to talk about it on stage, they only feel comfortable talking about it one way. But yeah, we try to make a point of talking to people at all different stages. So you can get like a more rounded perspective of the actual, like a better representation Sure. Yeah, (laughs) we'll go with that. (laughs) 
and I've noticed that too. And I've loved like just the people from very different faith backgrounds that you haven't just talked with people that come from like different denomination or different sects of Christianity, but just all around the spectrum. And it's so fascinating to see how some of these tenets of like being a good girl or feeling like you were shaped like very strongly, like to end religious background. And honestly, that feels very comforting to know that like reckoning with this and figuring out how it does or doesn't relate to your life is like a very normal human experience. Totally. I think we found the same thing. Like we originally, when we were doing our show, we were like, because we didn't have strong of a theme, we were just like anybody who talks about religion. And then once those people like came on our show and we started talking to them about it, that's what made us be like, oh, our podcast can be about any type of religion. And I think spoiler for season two, I think (laughs) we're expanding even further to being like, just good girl traits because some people on our podcast don't come on to talk about religion. That's not, even if we picked them because we know of their religious background, Mm -hmm. they'll come on. And the thing they want to talk about is like being a middle child or whatever it may be. So I think that's been really interesting to us too, to see everyone's similarities and they're not necessarily tied to your religion. So I would love to hear more about each of your journey to comedy and how you feel like comedy has helped you process your good girlness and maybe own your story and how you tell it. I feel like you'll appreciate this with the background you've given us on your life. So when I was 25, seven of my really good friends got married that year. And it was a rough year for me romantically and a kind of hard year for me at work. And I was trying to figure out like, who I was and what I was doing. And I had some personal struggles and all my friends were having like the best day of their life and finding the person for them and starting their future. And I felt really stuck. And so I kind of toyed with the idea of going to an open mic or something, which is just sort of how a lot of people start comedy. You just go and do a show to usually other comedians. And I never really like got over the hump, which I'm glad I didn't because if I had gone to an open mic, I never would have done it again. And I firmly believe that, but I, so I was like, I kind of want to do this thing. I've got these thoughts that I think are funny. I had been like horrifically ghosted by this guy. And it was like, I had the same story that I was telling people over and over again. I was like, I need to tell the story to an audience. So I signed up for a class at the comedy cellar, which is like really famous comedy club in New York. And I took the class and it was like the best thing I've ever done. Like I've always liked writing. I've always thought I was funny, but it was like, we had homework every week, which I just loved. (laughs) I was like, I'm ready to go. I'm overachieving. Like I was unpacking all this stuff that I never even thought would be something I would talk about in a comedy way because the prompts are like pretty similar to what they would be on a college essay or in therapy or something where it's like, what makes you different from other people? What makes your family different from other people? What's your biggest fear? What's something you're afraid to do? They're really kind of deep. Like what makes you mad? Because you have to be able to channel these strong emotions to do comedy. I found it super therapeutic and I felt like I just had a knack for it in a way that was like so necessary to my life at that point. (laughs) Like I really needed to find something that I was like, I think I'm okay at this. And so I started doing it and started doing shows and things like that. And I feel like the more honestly starting through that class made me be a lot more vulnerable in my comedy than I think I would have been. And I opened up about more than just dating. And it was talking about my fears and my family and stuff like that. And I think the more and more I've gotten into it, the more I've realized like when I started talking about religion, that's what people really latched onto. And that's what people came up to me and talked about after. And 
like when I got to a point where I was pushing myself out of like where I was comfortable, because I was very comfortable talking about dating to a point. And I was like, this is nameless, faceless guy. I can be Taylor Swift. I can talk about them on stage and feel empowered. But then once I was like, oh, I can actually talk about things that make me deeply uncomfortable and things that people told me that I can't get out of my mind and all of that. And it started to resonate with people. I feel like that's been a really great way for me to kind of work through different emotions I'm having. And I find that when I'm in periods of stress and anxiety, I'm not able to come up with jokes as much because I'm experiencing the feelings. But then right after I'm like, here they all are. So that's what I'm hoping will happen after my wedding in February. I will just have a rush of ideas <laughs> because I have not had a lot of comedy ideas lately, but it it really is just like a way to be super vulnerable. And also to be like, my first joke that I wrote was about being ghosted. And I was like, so upset when this guy ghosted me. And then when I came up with the joke, I was like, I won. Like I have a joke (laughs) that everyone is laughing at and people are not paying me, but asking me to come tell it. And like, I was kind of like, you didn't win this breakup by ghosting me. I have the power and I can tell the story however I want. And I can say whatever I want about you on stage and you're not going to say anything about it. And I put it on TikTok. Like I just, it felt really, as you were saying, like taking back your own narrative and being able to shape it the way that you want to. I started comedy a little bit out of spite. I was like seeing a guy who was like really into improv and I had a feeling he was going to dump me. And I was like, if he can do it, I can do it. So I signed up for a class and like, I remember the day he dumped me, we made a pact that he was like, yeah, I'll see you at Seth Meyers where he's like, one day we'll, like, we'll be on the couch next to each other on Seth Meyers because we'll both be doing different projects. And I was like, that's yes. I was like, yep, I'm holding you to it. I've not been on Seth Meyers. Neither has he though. So that's important. To I've know. been in the audience I've on been, the front row. I sit there most weeks though. That's mm-hmm. like where we sit in the studio. But I guess I'm glad that he dumped me and I knew it was coming because I did a lot of musical theater growing up and I did like competitive improv in high school. Indiana's a weird place. And when I like, like the first day I was like, oh, I missed performing so much, but it felt like, especially in New York city, there's no way to perform. That's not like so super professional. And there is, I wouldn't even feel comfortable pretending I can do musical theater in the city. Like, no, none of that. And then like, I really found like my love for the stage again. And yeah, it helped me like work through a lot of things I thought were funny about myself. People were like, kind of same with Beckett's. No, this other thing is a lot funnier. Like that's what makes you interesting. So I don't know if you hear about in acting classes, people look at you and you're like, that's your type. And you go, what? I didn't think I was bus driver number two material or whatever. And so that was really interesting. But also, I guess on the sad girl side, I grew up with like pretty intense ADHD and didn't have, I had friends, but not like a million friends, especially in middle school. And um, I was always always like a class clown and comedy is like, I'm already good at getting ahead of the joke. Like I'm already good at pointing out the fact that I'm very messy. Like I talk really fast. I am like just a walking non sequitur. Like I, people were like, where did that come from in your brain? I was like, I don't know. And so I, it feels good to yeah get ahead of the joke and stuff, stuff like that. But it's just been, it's just been nice. And mostly I think the only reason I keep doing it is because I've met so many amazing people. And it's like my, like 90% of my friends are comedians. And so I'm always just around comedy. And of course you keep going. This is like what you do now. Yeah. And it's spanned into other things. So 
I don't, I'm good for now. I'm going to keep going (laughs) for now. And then the podcast has been like, not to say a blessing, but a blessing, a blessing. blessing. Cause it really just started out as like this little, like this thing, this would be fun if we tried it. And then we get DMs from you. We get DMs from like people all the time who are like, this means so much to us. And we're like, yay, thanks. (laughs) And so that's, it's been like really fun to like use. I don't know. Sometimes comedy can feel really selfish. You're like, that's, you're only doing it for you, but it's really nice to hear that other people are getting something out of it too. Like that's, that's really awesome. So you've talked a little bit about dating on your show. You've talked a little bit about how maybe your perspective has changed. Becca, I know you're engaged and I would just love to hear a little bit from you guys about maybe what like your relationship was to like dating and marriage, like growing up and maybe how that relationship has evolved and maybe the way your feelings have changed. Yeah, I can go first. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, you get to go first. Yeah, I feel like it's interesting. So I think when I was in high school, I would have said, I'm not going to have sex until I'm married and I'm going to get married when I'm 22, I think, or maybe 23, maybe I stretched it that far, but I like, that was my story and that I was confident that that's how it was going to go for me. And in high school, I thought I was going to marry my high school boyfriend. Thank God I didn't. I thought I was going to marry the guy I went into college dating. He was a great guy. So that was less of a (laughs) dodging a bullet situation, but I think I had this vision in my head of what was going to happen. And I just, it just didn't happen for me. And I am really grateful. I didn't, I didn't really date anybody in college. Like I had some several month flings and things like that, but I never had a boyfriend in college. And I think that time was hard for me because I was like, what's wrong with me? (laughs) All of my friends are finding the people that they're going to marry and that's not working out for me. What's going on here. But I think it was really good for me because I don't think I would have moved to New York. Like I would have moved probably wherever the person I was dating moved or at least had that in the back of my head. And so I think like really in the past seven years of being in New York and independent and trying to like almost reinvent myself has changed how I felt about like marriage and who I would end up with and things like that. And I think like over the course of dating, I've been on like 80 million dates in New York. And I think over the course of that, I have gotten, I had gotten to a certain point where I was kind of like, I no longer have a type. I no longer have this defined sense of what I want, but I do know what I want the relationship to look like. And I think, I don't know, like I wish I'd had that in my head at age 18, but I absolutely didn't. I was just romanticizing everything. And like, I was Taylor (laughs) Swift in one of the first couple albums being like, I want passion and I want this and that. And I think as I've gotten older and like more aware of who I am, I've had a better sense of what I want in another person. And Michael, my fiance is like probably not the person I would have dated when I was 20 and probably vice versa. (laughs) And I think that's been so good for us. So I don't know that I necessarily had this sense like my mom stayed at home with us when we were growing up and my dad worked and it was very traditional, but I don't feel like I ever had that since that's what I was supposed to do when I was growing up. But I do think that like until probably like two years ago, I never once thought, do I want to have kids? It was always like, I want to have kids because you're supposed to. And mm-hmm. I never, I didn't even realize that it was a thing 
people could choose. <laughs> like, I thought that was a total outlier to decide that you don't want kids. So I think for me, it was like little things like that of figuring out what a marriage would look like, what an equal partnership would look like. And also like having to figure out for myself at like age 27, 28, do I actually want kids? Is this something I'm trying to do? Or is it just something that I feel like I should do by a certain age? And I just don't like, I don't think any of that would have gone through my head if I had met somebody when I was 18 or 16 or whatever. I I had this high school boyfriend for four years and I was like, we're getting married. We're not even going to make it through college because we're so in love, blah, blah, blah. And then he had dumped me. Like (laughs) he dumped me. This is a great story. He dumped me on Ash Wednesday of my freshman year. And it was over Zoom because he went to school in a different city. And there's literally ashes on my forehead and I'm sobbing over Zoom. And honestly... I have to thank him for making that. Like, it, it's hilarious now. Like, the image is just, I was like, who am I without you? My friend's like, that's a bad thing to say. I'm like, I don't care. And I was like sobbing. And I was like, I don't have a personality without him. And everyone's like, if you don't have a personality, <laughs> then no one in the world has a personality. So not to toot my own personality horn, but... <laughs> After that, I like went into college and I was like, I was so broken up about him. And then I pined after some people in college, big piner over here, love to pine. And I don't know. And then I've never had a boyfriend since I've had like month long situationship things that they do improv and then they dump me and that's the way it goes. And I think, um, I don't know. I think I have to like chalk it up to comedy, honestly, for like introducing me to, especially when you are younger, it's like, you are a prize to be won and no one can see your shoulders and every man has a big crush on you. If you want to believe that every man does not have a crush on you, you want to learn that lesson the hard way, start comedy. And so it was it like, I've spent a lot of time like building platonic male friendships and like seeing men as people, not like I didn't see men as people, but I was like, he's in love with me. They're all in love with me. Or cause that was just kind of the mindset or like, I have to stave you off because I, no, that's really not the case. Or just he's like an evil person that I won't even associate with because I wouldn't marry him or something like that. And like, just like having neutral feelings about people is something that like the church doesn't teach you. It's either it's like love the sinner, but they're a sinner. And you think about them being a sinner all the time or like whatever. So I think it's like really helped because you meet all kinds of people in comedy, people you like, people you don't like, and then a lot of other people. So you have to I don't know, kind of choose for yourself who you want to associate yourself with, but I don't even, I don't know now how I feel about marriage and dating. Like I always assumed, yeah, like Becca, I was going to get married by 23. And I remember telling my mom that I was like, actually, I think I remember being like, I'll probably 26. I want to, I want to like live by myself and own a dog first, which is hilarious. I can't feed myself. How would I feed a dog? But Yeah, I still don't know, but I'm happy that I'm figuring it out as an adult versus like just marrying my high school boyfriend. That would have been pretty bad for both of us. I think we would have like really resented each other, but we probably would have done it. So I'm glad that he moved to the big city and dumped me on Ash Wednesday. I think about with what you're saying, like, I've never dated anyone. I didn't date anyone in high school. I didn't date in college, not dating now. It's not like a conscious goal, but I feel like it's a very good girl element of me that I was like, like the best way to like remain virtuous. 
would be just to never, never even like be with a boy, eliminate the risk. But I went on an LDS mission. I came home like about six years ago and it was common where I was that right before you went home, people would do guesses of how long it would take you to get married. And the highest guess the group of people I was with gave me was 16 months and I gave myself 18 months. And it's you been like the thing where you're like, okay, 20, maybe not 22, but 23, maybe not 25, but 26. And you can't yeah, like, yeah, give myself yeah. two extra months. Yeah. I was like 22, like 22 seems like very mature. And I just think that's so funny that I was like, like, I'll be single for a year and a half. Like I can get engaged, married by the time I'm 22. And just now at 26, I'm like, I am a child. Like, yeah. that does yes. not feel like a rational thought. That's how I feel. It th- I mean, I'm literally going to be 30 on Sunday and that's how I feel. I'm like, I'm baby. Like you're, I think about my friends getting married at 25 and I'm like, you are a toddler. We didn't know anything at 25. I remember being at the last wedding I was at and like being tips and looking at my friend going, when do you start going to weddings and it doesn't, and your friends stop playing dress up. And she's like, never, isn't it weird? Like when I, your peers get married, it feels like your friend is playing dress up and yes, I, yes. Yeah. I feel like I'm playing dress up at work. I've been in the corporate world for eight years. Me and my briefcase walking to work. If I look remotely decent going to work, like if I'm wearing a sweater blazer, I'm like, she is dressed up. She's boss lady today. Which is funny because you were sweater blazer. You were business casual girl at the frat. That was Mm -hmm. your thing. It's true. I don't really know when I really started dressing business casual, but I feel like the good girlness of this is I was never dressing cool. So like business casual, being like old enough to like go to an office and like wear a skirt or wear slacks was actually probably a really good thing for me because I wasn't dressing cool. So I just might as well look like slightly professional. Mm-hmm. I remember when I got my first corporate job, I was like, finally a place to wear all these blazers <laughs> because I just had so many blazers. My mom was like, you need a suit. I needed t-shirts and jeans that fit. That is That was what I was lacking. Oh, Lordy. Yeah, no. I was like, finally, my chance to shine, aka wear business casual every day. That lasted for a few months. And then people were like, you're going to stop wearing wrap dresses to, <laughs> <laughs> to work? But my office was very casual. That's the joke. <laughs> it's not that people shouldn't wear wrap dresses. Very flattering, universally flattering. Team wrap dress. I do here. love a wrap dress. I love a wrap dress. Yeah. Thank you, Diane von Furstenberg. You did great things. So, Becca, it sounds like in the past few years, you mentioned like asking yourself specific questions like, wait, is this because I want it or is this because it's been assumed of me? Do you feel like the time you've spent like examining yourself and your story as you've been doing comedy and asking yourself those questions has helped you ask yourself these questions on a personal level and not just a performance level? That's such a good question. I, yes, I definitely think so. (laughs) When I first started comedy, I was talking to this person that I know, Matthew Broussard. He's a great comedian. And I didn't really know him at the time, but I had seen him in a show and I went up to say, you were great and whatever, and told him that I just started comedy. And he said, my number one piece of advice is to get as personal as possible because then you can't have the same joke as somebody else. And he was like, if you're telling a joke that's about you, about your history, about your personality, whatever it is, like you can't have the same thing as somebody else. And I feel like that just got opened up a door for me of being like, that's so right. I'm not going to look at a thing of ketchup and have an interesting idea that nobody has ever had before. I mean, maybe, but probably not. And so I was the thing I need to like 
unpack is me. And so I think I got a lot better about like, I mean, I was really, really private about my dating life with my family. I talked about it with my friends some, but my boss who was my boss at work for seven years and like, I adore her. But when I started dating Michael, she was like, have you ever had a boyfriend since I've known you? And I was like, I've dated. And she was like, I've never once heard you mention dating except for in the comedy standpoint. (laughs) So I feel like I got to a point where I was like, maybe not super open in my personal life. And then I would get on stage and feel more empowered to tell a story about a person who broke my heart or whatever it was, unpack something from my childhood. So I think it does make you just analyze everything about yourself in the strange way. I also go to therapy and huge therapy girl. That's a simultaneous thing, me starting therapy and me starting comedy. And that was like very much on purpose. (laughs) But I think like, I definitely have gotten to a point where I feel like I'm like just analyzing all of my choices more, probably because I got in that mindset from comedy, but also the mindset of comedy is the same as the mindset of therapy. It's like, what is my choice and why is that? What are the factors that play into it? And then that's what kind of opens up these doors of maybe why do I feel shame around sex? Well, it's probably because of this thing this youth pastor said to us when I was 12. It's the same like steps of peeling back the layers in your life to get to answers with comedy and with just general self-reflection. Have you been finding yourself like asking more questions about what you want on a personal level, Sid? Oh yeah. And Becca gets them like daily. I'm like, (laughs) do you think this thing about me? And she's like, I don't know, Sid, you're gonna have to figure that out for yourself. Yeah. I think a lot about, like I mentioned earlier, like why I was, I was so into religion and that I've come to find out like for all the wrong reasons. Like, I think I just liked thinking I was better than other people or I like, Oh, I get to tattletale. Like confession is basically just telling, like I would turn confession into something about somebody else. I was like, well, this person made me sin. And the priest would be like, that's not how this works. (laughs) Um, And I just don't think, I think the part of the reason I didn't really like religion is that it didn't at the end of the day, it never made me feel good. And like, I didn't really have a super personal connection with Jesus. Even like I tried, but I think I was like in it for the wrong reasons, which I probably didn't get anything good out of it because of that. And then, yeah, I think a lot about who I thought I was going to be. I think something that's interesting about comedy, like I said, you meet so many people, you meet so many people in different stages of life. Like I have no divorced friends from home, but I have tons of divorced friends from comedy or, and they're like, here's mistakes I made, or maybe I don't regret my divorce. Or they just have these things about their lives that to me would be so shameful, like a past me, maybe even a little bit current me. I'm like divorce. And they're like, no, like we got divorced because I was really unhappy and it was the best thing I ever did. And I'm like, oh, interesting perspective, good (laughs) perspective. I think I just think about my life very differently because of comedy. And then hearing people talk about things and just, yeah, I get exposed to people that I would never would have met. And I hear their stories and it helps me really reflect on mine. I do think I'm a little, it's honestly, the podcast has made me more lost than found, but I think I was just like burying a lot of stuff that when it comes up, it's like a good thing that I'm looking at it. I would say that. So yeah, I'm asking so many questions all the time, not really finding answers, but asking a lot of questions. Also same. I feel like that all the time. I'm like, sometimes I think I'm ending up with more questions than answers right now. Mm -hmm. But I just, I don't think I was the super critical thinker. I always say that there was like, 
just things that I never questioned in religion. And I really took them at face value. And because I was taught, if you think about it, you're a bad Catholic. If you question it, you're a bad Catholic. So learning how to be a better critical thinker now, which so like questions should beget questions. Our Jewish friends have come on the podcast and talk about that. They're like, oh no, the whole thing about Judaism is questioning and like finding answers and talking to a rabbi and figuring it out for yourself. And I'm like, that's neat. That's a cool, that's cool. That's really cool. I don't know if you guys know how cool that is. It's really cool because we are not like supposed to do that. Or like you're welcome to bring questions to your priest, but then they'd be like, don't think about it that way. Think about it the other way. Yeah. Does that feel better? And you're like, no. And they're like, think harder. But it felt like critical thinking. I don't know. I'm not trying to bash Catholicism, maybe just the way it was presented to me, which is another thing we try to do really hard is we don't bash religion because I don't, I think that's honestly super unproductive. I do too. And alienating. Yeah. Just like it was the way it was presented to me, that is really problematic. And other people really resonate with that. Yeah. Yeah. I wish I had like a really cute game plan. As we were chatting, I was like, oh, I should have planned a game for you guys, but I didn't. <laughs> um, okay. But is there anything that's come to mind that you've wanted to share that we haven't touched on? If you are struggling, get a hobby. Is that ridiculous? <laughs> no, I just think that like, but like I really went to work and I came home when I first moved here and I have found myself through comedy. I know it's like a very intimate, like personally intimate hobby to have, but it also like introduced me to so many people and has made me a better person. And there's like plenty of other things like that. But if you feel like you're kind of struggling, like I I know easier said than done to go out and meet new people, but it also just gave me something else to do and think about and like goals to achieve besides dating and marriage, because when I moved here, I was just like, well, they say it's hard. And so I better go on all of these dates. And it was like a thing to do. And now I really like that my week is mostly filled with a comedy or just like hanging out with friends or seeing movies or whatever for this like little life I've built for myself versus feeling like I should just go on a date because my Tuesday is free. Now I like only go on dates with people that I'm like really excited about. And I think that also helps me is that I'm not just like dating to date. I don't think that was very good for me. Gave that a go. Love that. I love that so much because in thinking about what you guys have said, like if you reevaluate your relationship to your faith, I think one thing that leaves is maybe like your sense of certainty about the future is one Mm -hmm. of the things that leaves. And if you really thought that like your life trajectory was, I'm going to graduate high school, I'm going to go to college, I'm going to get married. When you're working and in your twenties, you suddenly realize that you've got a lot of life left and it can be a little bit sad of what am I going to do at this time? And what do I even feel about the future and being happy now, like doing things that bring you joy now, instead of trying to be the person you thought you were supposed to be, I think is valuable. So I love that. Like have a hobby, have joy, like let your time be joyful. I don't want to speak for Becca, but I think also when you're younger, it feels like your life pre-marriage and then your life post-marriage and like building your own life is really important because you're probably for this all the time, like your partner should be a partner and not, they're not completing you. They are like complimenting you and like you will, I don't, I say this as a single, single Pringle, but like, I think you'll be happier if you have your own life and like your own friends and things like that. Like you build a life, but it, I know for forever. And still to this day, I'm like, then I'll get married and this thing will happen. But it's kind of just like, no, then you'll just be married. That's the thing that changes. 
I guess it does affect everything in your life, but not as dramatically as you think. I don't know. My parents were always good about that. They're like, your wedding day is just any other day. And like thinking about your, I think they caught me being like, this is the color scheme I'm going to have. I was like six, right? And I was like, it's going to be orange and blue. And they're like, okay, are you sure? And I'm like, I'm absolutely sure. And I'm going to pull up in a tie-dye limo. And they're like, I think you just want to have a party. And I'm like, no, no, no. My husband will be there too, I'm sure. And I always just thought about my life pre and post marriage. And now I'm like, oh yeah, I guess probably I'll get married at some point. Like I'm just more excited about like finding a partner and like a best friend in that aspect versus being a married woman. And then, yeah. And it's just also like, I don't know, not to be sad, but come to terms with the fact if it never happens, like you want to have a life for yourself. And I think that hopefully one day that will make me a better partner thinking about it in that aspect. Yeah, I totally agree. I was until like somewhat recently very much had this feeling of you need to accomplish everything you want to accomplish before you get married. That was my post. You lose your personhood almost. Yes. And I think I got to a point where I was like, okay, I missed my deadline to get married. So now I need to become (laughs) a full, complete person and then I can get married. And I do think that's true to some extent, but I also think it put a lot of pressure on me to achieve all this stuff and try to have my life in this feeling like when I got married, my life was over. And that's been something that I've really had to work on because like, no, (laughs) I don't even think it's like when I get married, my life begins. It's like when I get married, my life continues and I'm married. (laughs) And I think that the way that it's elevated so much in the way that the church talks about it, I think is huge to to elevate it to that point of this person who's your soulmate and you need to save everything for them and you need to be the best partner to them and all this stuff. Like that was, I think, really impacted me. But then also like movies and TV and all that. Like it just makes it feel like marriage is this like pinnacle. Like you can't be happy without it. And I think I felt like I had gotten rid of that sense of marriage as a pinnacle. But then once I started like doing all this stuff and having hobbies and creative interests and maybe wanting to think about my career differently. Then I started feeling like it was a deadline of as soon as I get married, that's it. The no more, I just have to have babies and then I can't work. I have to have the babies. Like it just, I think I got to this like very extreme mindset. There's also a thing in comedy that if you're in a serious relationship, you're unfunny. Yes. That is, (laughs) that's a big comedy thing that people joke about and they're like, oh, you're not like doing a lot of shows because you're happy and it's no, that's not it, (laughs) but wish it was. (laughs) But yeah, I think it's like, I don't know. I do think getting a hobby is a huge piece of advice because I feel, I felt like this happened in college. Actually, when you have your identity rooted in your things that you do, whether it's church or dance or playing an instrument or playing a sport, and then you go to college and you no longer have that thing, or you graduate college and you no longer have that thing, or you move away from religion, whatever it is, at the point where you don't have the thing that you defined yourself by. And for me, it was dancing. And then I went to college and I danced casually and that didn't really do it for me. And I felt like I lost this whole chunk of me, like Becca, the ballerina. And so I think, honestly, like, I think it took me until I was 25 and I started comedy to find another thing that I was like, this is my thing too. Like, I am not just a one dimensional person who loses your thing and then you no longer have it. So I think like as much as you can craft an identity outside of one specific thing or find hobbies that interest you and exercise classes or whatever it is that you find that you feel like is your place, I feel is really important, especially if you've been so like 
achievement oriented your whole life. I love that all so much. I am so grateful for both of your time. Before we go, will you guys tell people where they can find you on the internet? Yeah, Becca. Yes, <laughs> I always go first. Um, yeah, you can follow me on Instagram at the Becca Stevenson. Stevenson is spelled S T E P H E N S O N. I'm also on TikTok and Twitter, although my Twitter is private right now because I'm going through something with Elon Musk. So <laughs> you can find me there at the real underscore Becca. And personally, she's personally going with Susan. Yes, no. <laughs> I work in social media and I just telling all of my clients that they shouldn't be on Twitter. I'm like, I shouldn't be on Twitter either. It's a whole thing. We can unpack that on a different podcast. <laughs> <laughs> but yes, you can also add me on LinkedIn if you have interest in advertising. <laughs> and you can follow me at Sid period the period king. That's S Y D. My last name. Oh, yeah. Okay. You already know my last name is King. It's not a vanity thing. You can also follow me, follow me on Letterboxd. I watch a lot of movies. That's another thing that I do. Anything else? You can follow me on TikTok, but don't follow me on TikTok or Twitter. I don't want to do much there. Really follow me on Instagram. And then you can follow us, Good Girls Gone Sad, on TikTok at Good Girls Gone Sad, on Instagram at Good Girls Gone Sad, and on Twitter, I guess, if we still have it, at Good Girls Gone Sad, because we didn't have enough letters for an I. And I don't know when this is coming out, but we do live shows, like I said. So if you live in New York or maybe other cities sometime soon, hopefully, sometime, sometime, soon is a strong term, but sometime, sometime, we'll be in a city near you doing good girl comedy. This and is you can great. podcast on all platforms. It's called Good Girls Gone Sad, Spotify, Apple, whatever. We have merch, which is our, my favorite thing is we have a little sweatshirt that's a cherub smiling, but also crying a single tear. And then we have another, can I say it? Can I say it? I don't want to make you explicit, but we say something at the end of every episode that is Jesus wouldn't call people whores on the internet. And we have merch for that as well, because we're strong believers that Jesus was a nice guy. Jesus that was kind was of nice. his whole thing. His whole thing no, was that he- I love that. <laughs> um, speaking of letterbox, Sid, I am six blocks away from East High. <gasps> Oh, wait, I just you drove I, past it. You drove past it. I, oh, I drove past it. <laughs> you weren't with me. I don't know why. I was like, my life partner, Sid, was with me. Yeah, we, okay. So Always I was in spirit. I was in Salt Lake City for, we were going to a wedding. But You guessed it, a wedding. Yeah. And we drove past and I just looked out the window and I was like, is that? And the driver goes, yep, that's the school from High School Musical. <laughs> and I was like, oh my gosh, amazing. <laughs> Do you like ever walk by and think about the Wildcats or is it just part of your world? Do you ever go, what TV? I mean, someone goes, Wildcats. <laughs> I don't, I don't ever walk by, but that's how I have to drive to get on the freeway. So every time I need to get on the freeway, I drive by East High. That's so funny. I love that. I love that we like, (laughs) I love that I'm fangirling over East High when we like live in New York, also (laughs) near landmarks, but I'm like, East High is top tier landmark. (laughs) It really is. It really is. It's so important. High School Musical to to all good girls. I, that's, I always thought I was like, I'm a sharp pay. And then I was like, I'm, real, I'm not that talented nor mean. So also, she's just really not that mean. She was just like, I don't think you guys are going to like being this musical. It's kind of a lot of work and you guys can even come to the audition on time. I don't know. And that would have been me. I think I'm a Kelsey. Mm. <laughs> a violin version of Kelsey. A violin Kelsey. Yeah. It's great. That. That's, we'll, we'll leave you with that. <laughs> Thank you both so much. I really appreciate your time. Thank so you for fun. having Thank us. Thank you.
Thank you so much for listening. I'm so happy to be back and I really hope you enjoyed this conversation. Thank you so much to Becca and Sid for joining me. I'm planning on being back next week. I'm thinking I'm going to try out Monday releases. So look for me in your feed on Monday. Please rate and review. Doing so really helps other people find the podcast. It helps with building an audience, which is one of my goals for 2023. In the meantime, remember, no matter what you're doing, this is your life. It's not a plan B. 